Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The No Huddle Show. I am Elliot Shore Parks here with Matt Lombardo. And Matt, another day here at the Super Bowl in Minnesota. We are in Radio Row. Considerably louder and considerably more packed than it was on Monday. You can really feel the Super Bowl excitement start to build. Yeah, and Elliot, last night was really the kickoff of Super Bowl week. Yeah. It was opening night, media night at the Excel Center, home of the Minnesota Wild. And there were 1,500, 2,000 media members roaming around the floor. There was all kinds of craziness. And, you know, the Eagles seemed like they were loose. They seemed like they were confident. But I think that this is the day where they start to get down to business and start to fine-tune the game plan yep. and prep work for Sunday night. And we're definitely going to get into media night a ton because one of my big takeaways, and I'll get more in-depth with this later, is just a difference between the Eagles and the Patriots. Yep. I mean, that hour with the Patriots was like pulling teeth. It was so boring. The Eagles took the, took the stage, and things really livened up. So we'll talk about that. Um, exciting episode for you guys today. Uh, yesterday we had Pete Prisco on. Today we got two more guests for you, and we've already recorded them, and I think they were absolutely fantastic. The nuggets we had, the stories, it was awesome. So you spoke with Bride Mitchell, obviously former Eagle and, and analyst now, um, and I spoke with Adam Kaplan, uh, one of the best NFL insiders, extremely close to the Eagles. Uh, so they were both very good. Um, we're going to have those for you a little later on in the podcast. But first, as we said we would do every day this week, we're reading reviews yep. because, Matt, we are we are so close, I can feel it. 488, only 12 away from 500. That was our goal. Our buddy Joe Giglio, RIP, on to big, bigger, bigger, bigger and better <laughs> things at WIP. <laughs> on to bigger and better things. Do it for Joe. Do it for Joe. Get us to 500. So, look, we're each going to read a review. Yep. Um, why don't you go first? I'm reading this partially because of the username and partially because I think the review is dead on. Um, All right. The username is Alshon Owns Elliot. All right, nice. I didn't see that one. Uh, The headline is Accurate Stuff, five stars. He says, Elliot and Matt seem like really good dudes and are really knowledgeable. While I sometimes disagree with their analysis or headlines related to things off the field, I think their breakdowns of past games and predictions of future games might be the most accurate of all the Eagles podcasts I've listened to. Keep up the good work, guys, and have fun in Minnesota. So uh, thanks, Alshon Owns uh, Elliot, and uh, we appreciate (laughs) the feedback. That'll be my new Twitter name. Maybe They win the Super Bowl. Maybe I'll have to change that. Yes. Um, all right, this one is Monster by Monster and Wait. It says, constantly refresh in hopes of finding a new episode. Lots of new episodes this week, so you don't have to refresh too much. It is there all the time. Really great podcast, especially great insight from Matt and ESP. While I don't always agree with the opinions they have, they do present the information on the team in a great manner and unbiased for the most part. ESP hates Alshon. Didn't even realize I was in there before you picked yours. 
Also, one quick question for you guys. What would an Eagles Super Bowl without Wentz mean for his legacy? And I think that's a great transition into media night because yep. even though Wentz talked last week um, for the first time since his ACL tear, he held center stage last night too. He sat yep. down in the stands. Um, he talked for about 10 or 15 minutes. I know you were there. Yep. And I think he was a little more honest last night. Uh, I think he was a little more packaged against the uh, when he was in the uh, Eagles locker room a little earlier in the sure. week. A word he used last night was bittersweet. Yep, and he used it several times. And, you know, it, last night was the first time that I really heard him talk pretty openly, Elliot, about not only how it's bittersweet for the Eagles to be here and him not on the field, because he said that as soon as last year ended, when they were eliminated from the playoffs, he had this date circled on the calendar because it was close to North Dakota State. He could come home, um, play in front of a lot of friends and family. It would be the Super Bowl. And he said that, you know, once the game kicks off, when the offense is out there for their first play, it hits him hard, but then he settles into the game. And he also said that, you know, he has to rely on his faith a lot to get through this injury because it's the most significant and severe injury he's ever dealt with. So uh, yeah. there's a story up on NJ.com about what he said this morning, so go check that out. But I was kind of struck by how honest and how much of a glimpse into his mindset he gave last night. Yeah, I mean, let's be honest here. There's a ton of excitement going on in Minnesota. We're going to talk about all the exciting things going on with the team, talk about media night and all that, but it's a devastating injury for Wentz. Yeah. But and honestly, more more emotionally than physically. I mean, there was a moment, I'm sure I've said this on the pod before, but it'll really stick out. It really sticks out to me, and I think I'll always remember it, thinking about Wentz's injury. They're celebrating the NFC Championship game. Teammates are dancing and everything. And Wentz took part to a certain degree, but he's sitting there at his locker by himself putting his knee brace on. And it's just got to be devastating to get over. But outside of Wentz, um, which I thought was he was very honest last night and it was good, Media night was crazy. So this yep. is my fourth one. This is your second. second one. Yep. And it's always a zoo. It's always, uh, you know, a ton of things going on. And it's probably just because we know all the players now. But last night, I think, was one of the one of the crazier ones, at least when the Eagles were out there. I mean, you could really yeah. tell they were enjoying themselves. And the, the hour long with the Patriots, that was absolutely brutal. Yep. Uh, they don't say anything at all. They... All their answers are pre-packaged. They won't rock the boat at all. They weren't even really having fun. I saw, I saw, and they've been yeah. here before. This isn't their first rodeo, and I think that they're. I mean, we all talk about how the Eagles and this underdog mentality and how aggressive they are is a direct reflection of Doug Peterson as a head coach. The Patriots have really taken on. Bill Belichick's personality and mentality. It's do your job. It's focus. And, you know, they're one of the more buttoned-up organizations yeah, I mean, in sports. Yeah, I mean, last night, you know, I, there were obviously some crazy reporters there. And one of them asked, I think it was Malcolm Brown of the Patriots, to, to dance, and he just flat-out refused. An hour later, we saw Jalen Mills doing the salsa with his green hair, sunglasses, and colorful headphones. So yep. the Eagles clearly enjoyed it more. Um, what was the craziest thing you think you saw last night? Uh, the craziest thing I think I saw. Oh boy, that's tough because there are well, a lot I got, of I got things. one. If you want to think, I'll, I'll, let, I'll let you do it. All right. So to me, and this is the amazing thing about media night. It doesn't matter who you are on the team. I mean, during the season when we're in the locker room. <laughs> You know, a lot of these guys can walk by and no one ever talks to them. You know, Daryl Green, uh, Rashard Davis. Uh, guy, squad guys. Yeah, guys like that. Last night I saw Rashard Davis getting a one-on-one -on -one interview on a TV set with a foreign reporter. And then Bryce Treggs, Sidney Jones, and ready for this name, Randall Goforth. A guy wow. that tore his, I think it was his ACL in camp, has all of a sudden been around the team a little more. It seems like he's enjoying the Super Bowl experience. But, uh... They were they all had dog masks on and they were dancing to the Dreams and Nightmare intro by Meek Mill on stage. So there were definitely some wild things, uh, and I think the players really enjoyed there it. Were, number one, I thought JB Smoove's impersonation yeah. of Bill Belichick was pretty funny. It was. Um, that was that was pretty crazy. And us both being huge Kirby enthusiasm fans, yeah. it's always fun to see uh, Leon roaming around. Um, number two, there were a couple of reporters who actually had the dog masks 
oh, they're yeah. going around interviewing the players in the dog masks. So I thought that was kind of funny as well. And it's so, always a three-ring circus at media night, that's right. for sure. So one of the nice things about media night, too, is we get access to guys that we don't during the season. Um, Howie Roseman barely talks during the season. Jeffrey Laurie barely talks during the season. Both of them talked last night for, I mean, Howie was probably, what, 40 minutes? minutes, 30 yeah. something. Yeah, and Jeffrey Laurie was at least 20, 25. Um, you spent time with Howie. I was on the uh, Jeffrey Lurie beat. What were your main takeaways from Howie? And to me, from like the times I walked by and the brief moments I was there, really seemed like he was enjoying his uh, victory lap here in Minnesota. Yeah, see, I, I mean, I think that it obviously means a lot that he was able to build a team that got here. But he went out of his way to say this isn't a victory lap. This isn't vindication. Right. If anything, it's vindication for the city of Philadelphia. Um, I, I thought that Howie came across as a guy who – Learned a lot from that year where he was on the business side. Um, and, and I I used to think it was kind of hokey when he talked about speaking to GMs from the English Premier League or from uh -huh. the NBA and how they've kind of adopted their philosophies in building teams with depth and around young up-and-coming players. But they've gone out and done that with a lot of success. And they've traded middle-round draft picks to bring in 20-something-year-old guys like Tim Jernigan and Ronald Darby and Jay Ajayi, and they've re-signed most of those guys. And I think that um, just detailing that philosophy was big. And I think that, um, you know, he's a guy that rightfully won executive of the year, and I think that they've positioned themselves as an organization to not only have a chance to win on Sunday but be back uh, in the mix for years to come. And it's been interesting seeing Howie kind of like his redemption tour. And I think one of the things that's really stood out to me about the difference between him now and the difference between him maybe before Chip kind of, you know, kicking the other side of the building, it seems like the front office of the Eagles is getting along a lot better than they used to. And this wasn't just a Chip problem. I think even before Chip got there, there was some tension up on that second floor of the Novacare complex. Yep. Uh, I don't think everyone in the world enjoyed working with Howie. And that's fine to a certain degree. But at the end of the day, you still have to – to have a functioning front office, um, I mean, there's a reason the Eagles didn't win, haven't won a playoff game since 2008 prior to, to today, uh, right. this, this year. But I had a chance to briefly catch up with Joe Douglas, and he just, you know, he raved about how everyone gets along up there. Also, Don Smolinski talked about it, the team's president, yep. um, just basically talking about how the, the four of them meet every week. You know, Doug, Howie, uh, Doug Howie, Joe, and Smolinski, and uh, Lurie, so I guess five of them. And every week they meet, and they say it's just an enjoyable thing. They're all on the same page. They're all able, when they do disagree on something, to talk about it. And people underestimate how huge that is. I asked Smolinski last night, I said, obviously you each have your own talents that you bring to the table, but how important is it just to get along with each other right. when you work with somebody? And that sounds basic, but, I mean, really, I think when you talk about this Eagles season, both on the front office scale and the team scale, these guys just like each other. And, yeah, yeah do they have their deficiencies as a team? Absolutely. Is Howie the best GM ever? No. Is, you know, Doug and him the best head coach ever? No. But when you put the fact that they all like working together, they all put in that extra work, I think it really stands out, and that's yeah. why they've been successful. And, and, I, and I think that that year away really gave Howie Roseman a different perspective. And, yeah. and I think that, you know, there was a lot of introspection that was done on his part. And talking to Howie Roseman last night is a lot different than talking to Howie Roseman in 2012 or 2013. Absolutely. No, I 100% I agree with you. So Jeffrey Lurie also talked for a while, and yep. he, he, he did touch on kind of what I just said about how there are certain um, – there, there's certain uh, – you know, ways in which his front office has improved. There's certain ways where everyone's getting along. But one of the interesting things I thought he uh, he brought up, and this shows in the moves that the Eagles have made, this team is dead on dedicated to the quarterback position. I mean, he, he, he brought it up two or three times how the decision to go from Chase Daniels to Nick Foles 
Jeffrey Lurie spent $12 million to make that yep. move. And, yep. yeah, you you know, you could say to yourself, oh, it's $12 million. I mean, this guy's a billionaire. Hey, $12 million is still $12 million. And it's million. Got $12 million of cap space. Right, yeah, right, exactly. Right. So to move from Chase Daniel, and I was never on down, as down on Chase as other people, but I don't think anyone in the world will sit here and say that this team's in the Super Bowl with Chase Daniel as a quarterback. No, I, I mean, I, yeah, the I fact that they have Foles as their backup obviously ended up ended up saving this season. Um, he, so he talked about their dedication to quarterback position. When you look at all the resources they've put into it, I mean, this sounds like a small thing, but the fact they carried three quarterbacks on the roster all year is not a not not a small thing. I mean, a lot of people do not, a lot of teams do not carry three quarterbacks. That's a valuable roster spot there, yep. and especially when you think about how bad this team has needed depth at certain positions. The fact that they ended up keeping three, held on to Nate Sudfeld, I think proved to be huge because now, in my opinion, they have a capable backup. And the other guy I talked to last night was well, John. And, and, D- one, more, Sorry, and yeah. one more thing on. Uh, on Jeffrey Lurie, you know, he drew a lot of heat from some people from his press conference right before the season where they didn't believe that he supported the players enough in terms of the anti yep. protests and in terms of the activism that took place off the field. And I asked Jeffrey point blank last night, did your support ever waver for Malcolm Jenkins or Chris Long or Tory Smith or guys that raised their fist during the anthem? Because, you know, there was a lot of criticism from the president calling for these guys to be fired. And Jeffrey said flat out that he never wavered, that, the mm-hmm. you know, you can be baited into changing your principles. You can be baited into responding to things that don't merit being responded to. But in the end, the issues are too important. The social injustice, the criminal justice reform, yeah. all of these things that these guys have worked towards off the field, uh, th- those things are too important for him to buckle under public pressure or pressure from someone like the president of the United States. But I think that that really, I mean, Elliot, you're in that locker room as I am every single day. I think that the support system from Jeffrey on down for Chris Long, for Malcolm Jenkins, for Tory Smith, for all of these guys to be so active in the community has kind of brought this locker room closer. Yeah. And I think that it has had a tangible effect on how they've played this year. And to me, after speaking to both teams last night, that's my main takeaway. Then we'll find this out on Sunday. What's going to end up winning? Because the Eagles have an amazing culture in their locker room. And last night I saw a Patriots player get asked flat out, is it even fun to play for the Patriots? And I don't think that's something we would ever even think about asking a player here, just with how much fun it's evident they're having every week but all right so media night is in the books it's Tuesday here in Minnesota we're gonna have Eagles availability today and then the team really starts to get to work Wednesday Thursday Friday the Eagles practice days Saturday I'm sure they'll do a walkthrough as they normally do and then Sunday at the stadium yeah and then Sunday's the big game so let's get into the interviews though because we talked a lot about the X's and O's of this game in those interviews Brian Mitchell was excellent about the offensive line Adam Kaplan was a little bigger pitcher but talking about how Howie's grown Doug's grown some behind-the-scenes stuff so let's get into those interviews First, Brian Mitchell. Matt, with you, let's play it. Welcome on in. Former Eagles running back, currently with NBC Sports in Washington. Brian Mitchell joins the No Huddle Show. Brian, thanks for taking a couple minutes today. Uh, No problem, man. So, obviously, this is a matchup that's 12 years in the making. The Eagles and Patriots last played in Super Bowl 39. Absolutely. (laughs) Now, what kind of comparisons can you draw between maybe that game and that 2004 Eagles team to the Eagles team that's taking the field on Sunday? I think this team here is a better overall team uh, for the Eagles. Uh, When you look at them, after losing Carson Wentz, I don't think many people gave them a chance to do much. And you look at the way uh, Nick Foles has played, I think Nick had to just come into the game and be himself. That defense is very good. When you can get pressure on a quarterback rushing four, you know, you allow your defense to do so much more. And then offensively, that three-headed mindset running back, the receivers uh, have been very good. Aguilar is a totally different guy than he was last year. For sure. But I think ultimately things start at Zach Ertz and the running game and it moves out. And if they can have that type of success, if the Patriots can't stop the running game in Zach Ertz, I think it, it completely goes to the Eagles. But then when you look at the uh, Patriots on uh, offense with Tom Brady, 
he's the only guy on that team I think left from their Super Bowl yeah. 12 years ago. But the thing about it is the way he gets the ball out of his hands and you get those – most times you're used to these bigger receivers and guys that like to go down the field. They do a lot of crossing. They make you have to be a lot quicker. And I think in this game it comes down to how you can uh, hinder them. Gronkowski, you don't know if he's going to be completely healthy coming back. He's a matchup nightmare for anyone. But I think if you can slow down all those crossing routes, then all of a sudden you have a chance against them. You, but you cannot give him chances. And you can't give him you know? the ball late. Can't give him the ball late in the fourth quarter. But let's talk about that Eagles running game because yeah. obviously that's a position you know really well. And the Eagles have a pair of running backs who run really hard, really downhill, yes. and Jay Ajayi and LeGarrette Blunt. Um, how much does that help an offense, particularly late in the game, when you have two really bruising, explosive running backs in the backfield? And we saw Ajayi had 54 yards mm -hmm. uh, against the Falcons. LeGarrette Blunt had a big game uh, against the Vikings in the title game. But just having those kind of running backs and having two of them, how much does that help? Offense. It helps an offense tremendously. I, I uh, compare it to a heavyweight championship fight. If you're going head hunting like a lot of people do, they throw the ball down the field all day, throw it down, but you're not really affecting the defense. Right. Okay. If you're missing it, you're affecting yourself more because you put yourself in a difficult situation. But if all of a sudden I start punching you in your side, punching you in your stomach, punching you in your side, late in, the, uh, late in that boxing match, you're, you're out of breath. You can't lift your arms. Like Mike Tyson would punch people in their shoulders, and all of a sudden they couldn't lift. That's how a running game is. You know, many people in pro football, and the NFL has done this, they're trying to take the running game out of it. Right. But I think the teams that run the football, even the Patriots, they don't seem to be a running team, but they run the ball right. effectively. Hell, Garrett Blunt had 21 touchdowns with last year with them. Yep. So he understands the way that they play the game too. I just think that it's like hitting body blows. It's hitting a, a team with body blows, and all of a sudden you slow them down from doing what they like to do. And you look at the Washington Redskins back in the, in the day. For sure. They ran the, 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 the counter over and over and over again, and everyone knew they were going to run it. But eventually, after being hit by hog after hog after hog, you can't yeah. do much. And if they keep doing the same thing with Peters and crew, they, they'll go out there and do the exact same thing to them. But you have to stick to it. And too many coaches don't stick to it. But I've noticed, I, I've been very impressed with Doug. You know, played against Doug in college, played against him in the league, to watch him be able to be a passing guy, but all of a sudden go to the run late in the game and close it out. It's a such thing we all know about the two-minute offense. Yeah. It's a thing called a four-minute offense. If you're up on the team, you don't throw the football to give the other team a chance. You pound them into the you cement out and the make win. sure you win it. There you go. And, and you brought up the hogs and the running, the offensive lines that you ran behind with the Redskins. Mm -hmm. And I, I think the Eagles have a fighter's chance of winning this game, not only because of the defensive line, but I think they have the best offensive line in football with Lane Johnson and mm -hmm. Jason Kelsey and Brandon Brooks. Even Stephen Wisniewski has really turned it around. But as a running back, what's it like running behind a line that you know is going to dominate the line of scrimmage from, from gun to gun? It's comfort. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's very much comfort. Because the thing about it is, a running back, any running back that's worth his is, uh, is value, uh, if if they leave one guy for you, you should be able to beat that guy or at least get four, four yards for him. And I think that's what they're doing. They're, those guys are coming down here. They don't get hit until two yards across the line of scrimmage, sometimes three, four yards. I can remember playing in a game here in Minnesota with, yep. the, with the Redskins, and they were coming to the line telling the guys what play we were going to run. And there was nothing they could do about it. So I, I think that's the situation that you you have to be in. When your offensive line is blowing people off the football, a running back loves that because running backs just want to get started. Right. You know, if you get the ball and you have to make somebody miss in the backfield, that's not a good day. Right. But if you get the ball and you can come down here and once you hit that line of scrimmage, it's all gone home from that point. And I think the league, they've done a great job of it. 
they started off the season as this team that you thought was going to just be a passing team. But like I said, Doug has stuck to that run and kept sure. it going. And you brought up Doug, and, you know, I think not only was he a Coach of the Year candidate, but I th I'm really looking forward to the chess match between Doug Peterson and Bill Belichick because, yeah. I mean, you talk about Doug, it's that malleable play calling. If a team stops the run, he's going to throw over them. If they have a top secondary, he's going to run it down their yeah. throats. And he sticks with aggressiveness. He had that flea flicker on in on the first drive of the third quarter, up 24-7 to last week. So um, just your thoughts on that coaching matchup with Belichick against Peterson because my thoughts are, you know, this is a guy who's aggressive to a fault. He's going to stay aggressive, and that's what you have to do against Belichick and the Patriots. Yeah. See, the thing about it, I, Bill Belichick is going to be hard for me to say anybody's better than him because of right. what he's done. Oh, but sure. what I'll say is this. What, what has made Bill Belichick so good is that Bill Belichick and his team, they do what they do best no matter what you do. They don't change. But what he does, he tries to take away from a coach or a team what they do best and then make you do something else. Yep. And a lot of times, if I'm very good at this and now someone is stopping me from it, I normally leave it instead of sticking to it. You know, and then I start trying something that I'm not good at, which now gives me a chance at Bill Belichick. I think what Doug has done this year, like you said, he's been aggressive. He's unconventional. For sure. He goes for fourth down and one, fourth and five, and he goes for it often, and he gets he was getting like 70% of them, yeah, I think, at one like point. Something like 17 or 18 conversions yeah. throughout so, the course of the year. So it's what you crazy. need, to, if he sticks to that gun, what he'll do is now put a little confusion in the head because Belichick is going by percentages and what the stats tell him. And if the stats tells him that he may go for it at any time, he doesn't have a game plan for it. You know, and right. I think that that thing has helped Doug out tremendously, and hopefully he stays that way throughout his whole career. Because you know, as, like when you're young, when I was young, I tell people I jumped off the roof of my house. As I got older, I started to say, "Well, I could break this bone, that bone." I got a little, I, got, I shied away from it. But if he stays like he is, then that's going to put confusion in the other eyes of the other people. Sure. Like I said, with Joe Gibbs, everyone knew they were going to run the counter. They never stopped running it. And now, just like the Princeton, I use Princeton offense. Yep. They run that boring offense. And what does it do for you as a defensive coach? You start trying stuff. You take a chance, and all of a sudden, free layup. He's running by. And that's yeah. the same thing that's been happening with Doug this year because he stuck to what he wanted. And all of a sudden, just like you saw, they ran a little in and up touchdown, yep. you know, and he was wide open right. So because they kept being aggressive and they didn't get conservative. And obviously the Eagles brought in guys like Alshon Jeffrey and Torrey Smith, and they moved Nelson Aguilar to the slot to help develop Carson Wentz and help get him into mm -hmm. good habits and give him some real weapons. But those additions have really powered them when, when Wentz got hurt and you went to Nick Foles. Well, I mean, you, you have veteran players. Yeah. And that's the thing about Torrey Holt and Alshon Jeffrey has been around this league a long time. They know how to play. Right. And I think that's the problem with a lot. A lot of coaches today, too, they get rid of guys as soon as they hit a certain age. Right. Well, I think if you have guys in your locker room who are veterans, who, are, who, who, are, who have great chemistry, and who are going to be professionals who show up, now young guys learn from that. Like I said, last year Nelson Aguilar wasn't doing much at all. Right. You know, people were thinking about he may not be around right. for a long time. Right. And then this year you look at, I think, eight or nine touchdowns he's had, he stepped up because he sees professionals getting it done. Now they take a little pressure off of him. Too many times in this day – we draft a guy, and first round, whatever round he comes in, and we expect a kid from college to come in and be the, the man that we, we, we see like T.O. was and Jerry Rice was. Like that. They have to learn how to play this game of football. You know, when you're in college, you may have four to five, unless you got Alabama playing against Georgia, four <laughs> to five guys that are professional ready. In the NFL, no matter what you think about a team, it's 22 guys on a team at any given time sure. that are pros. And you have to be – your, 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 your 
the 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 the, the, the amount of error you can have in anything that you do gets smaller and smaller right. because those guys are so good. And I think Nelson learned that quickly from watching those two professionals play in front of him. Rapid fire, quick. Patriots win the game if? If Tom Brady has a Tom Brady day. Eagles win if? If they run the game and Zach Ertz can't be stopped. Your pick? I'm going with the Eagles. There you go. I think there's going to be an upset here. He's you know? Brian Mitchell, <laughs> former Eagles running back. You can check him out on NBC Sports Washington. Follow him on Twitter, at Brian Mitchell. Brian, always great catching up with you. Enjoy the rest of Super Appreciate Bowl Appreciate it, week. man. Take care. Thanks. So we're now joined by Adam Kaplan, jack of all trades, one of the best NFL insiders in the business, a guy I've been lucky to know for a few years now, host of the CapCast podcast on vSport, which you should definitely go subscribe to. Adam, how you doing? Guys, good to talk to you. This is my 16th. Wow. Super Bowl. I remember my first one. I'll tell you what. The weather was great. It was in San Diego. The game L was not. A little different here. Yeah, it is. And this is a truly unique experience, just to give people an idea. Mm -hmm. We're inside. We're in the middle of the Mall of America, the biggest mall in the country. We're literally in the middle of the food court. Yeah. So for the first time ever at the Super Bowl, I am not going to complain <laughs> about eating. I had a good vegan meal yesterday, which, there you uh, go. which is right here. So. Uh, I'm glad to be here. I, I enjoy Radio Row because you never quite know who's going to show up. Mm -hmm. Ryan Leaf is to our left. I know. I saw that. Uh, which yeah. Which is pretty cool. And it, it, it's, it's, it's a really unique experience. And How, how does time, it compare to the other 16 you've been to, the setup and stuff? This setup? As far as Radio Row, you mean? Yeah, and just the whole thing in general. I mean, I would say that it's in it, it, there's not a lot of room to walk around. If you were at the Super Bowl in New York, the Radio Row is really, really condensed. Where you, ha I tripped over like um, Brian Billick, because <laughs> uh, it's you're in a tight area here. It's going to be tight as the week goes along. So Monday and Tuesday are generally very light, lightly attended. Uh, agents come in, players fly in Wednesday night or Thursday morning uh, to be on the air here, yeah. Thursday and Friday. So that's when it's going to pick up. This is a great time to do podcasting like you guys are doing. Yeah. Uh, the first two days because you you pretty much won't get interrupted, but. The crowd noise Thursday and Friday is really bad. Uh, I, I, when I did work for Sirius the first couple Super Bowls that I attended, when if you do them Thursday and Friday, you really have to cut out the crowd noise. It's very hard to hear. Yeah. Because, and then the other thing is the PR people who come, they come here, they'll come here to Minneapolis on Wednesday. So it's a smart thing to do these early in the week. And plus, as you mentioned, we're in the middle of a food court, so there's mall noise around yes, anyway, correct. so it's already loud. So this loud. is unique. This is, yeah, it is. It's kind of cool. cool. When you first got here uh, on, on Monday, how did you how did you see this? Uh, well, I was surprised at just how big it was. I mean, being yeah. from the Philadelphia area, King of Prussia obviously is a big mall, but this thing, it feels like it dwarfs it. And I know when the players first got here, they were walking around looking at the amusement parks and all that, and kind of a unique setup how they have the Eagles on one end and the Patriots on the other end. <laughs> Yeah, I don't, I don't think they, they do have they don't do that very often in the Super Bowls. Normally teams are. Far I've apart. been here. I've been in the Mall of America maybe a dozen times. The problem is, unlike King of Prussia, King of Prussia is not five levels like this place. Right. It doesn't have an amusement park in here. Right. It's a little different. This is this is this is hard to figure out where the heck to go. And thank yeah. goodness they have some tour guides. So you mentioned the the bigger the uh, you know the players and stuff will start flying in later in the week. But the Eagles flew in Sunday because they're playing in the game. Sure. So you're around the team all the time. You were there in training camp. Did you ever imagine this was a Super Bowl team? No, in fact, I, I'll give you a little bit of a, a, a discussion I had with someone with the Eagles that we had a couple days ago. So this person said he thought the Eagles would be 10-6, and six, someone yeah. high up with the Eagles. He thought they would be a playoff team. I was like, really? you know, I had them at 9-7. and seven. I said, why did you think there would be a playoff team? He goes, because of the quarterback. Yeah. Because when you have a special quarterback, you always have a chance to be great. And obviously the additions that they made in personnel in the offseason helped. Mm. But, as you, Elliot, you phrased the question, do you ever think? No. 
I know Adam Schefter went on the air and said he thought the Eagles would win the division. I thought that was that was more bolder than I, I was. I picked him to win the division. Did, too. Oh, did you really? Because of the quarterback. Now, now you I'm not the, big on the well, quarterback. You know, it's funny. You were you were the guy, and you've admitted this. You were the yeah. guy who said not to. Who did you want them to draft over Wentz? Oh, there's a long list. But, but Cardell Jones the, is the one. Cardell Jones, okay. And Paxton Lynch. I'll take. I, I I'll see take Matt the L's on shaking his head. Yeah. He's like, what are you thinking, dude? I know. But but let me ask you this question. Because you you're you're at more practice than I am. Did you notice there were some things that I picked up going to OTAs that I had not seen from Wentz before where I said, okay, he's probably going to be ready to make a jump. What yeah. did you see in the offseason from this kid? To me, the two things I really noticed were, one, his accuracy really improved. I think last year he would, I think last year, he, on my book, he got an A simply because you're grading him on a rookie scale. But if you're looking at him on a franchise guy, I think this offseason he improved his uh, accuracy over the middle with number one. But number two, I think he was just far smarter with the ball. I track every training camp stat, every throw during training <laughs> camp. I know it's sick, but I do it. Do, do, you, are you, do you have a life? <laughs> Not outside of this, yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> um, but, no, I think he only threw, like, three interceptions all of training camp. Is that right? And we're talking, wow. like, 200-something attempts. So, I mean, he had a monster training camp. And I think he was just smarter with the ball. Last year he was a little more reckless. You saw it this year, too. Even the interceptions he had, a lot of them were tip passes, which he does hold some blame for. But those are the two areas where I really thought he would take the jump. And back to the division, I think when you have the best quarterback, you have a really good chance to win every year. And the Eagles had the best quarterback this year. See, I, I, I also think coaching is a big thing here. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's this good without the great coaching that he's getting. And, and I talk about this in my podcast this week. The willingness of the head coach to be fearless as a play caller, you look no better than with Nick Foles. I mean, are you kidding me with some of those throws that he dialed up? Yeah. You don't do that unless you believe in your quarterback. And, and I think the fearlessness from the, the head coach, which nobody saw. And one of the interesting saw. things is I found this week being in Minnesota, you would think, I mean, obviously Bill Belichick, maybe the best head coach of all time, clear mismatch. People don't talk about it that way. The respect that Doug has. I remember last when Doug's first training camp, and you know the Eagles beat. I mean, it's huge, like <laughs> all joking all the time. We were joking if Doug would have more career touchdown passes, which was like 12, or career <laughs> wins as a head coach. And now in his second year, he might just very well win the Super Bowl. So I don't, it's amazing how people view him so differently now than they did two years ago. Elliot, I don't think I've ever seen – this is my 90th year of covering the National Football League. I, I can't remember a, a head coach who made a jump no. from year one to two. He was 7-9 in his first year. The command issue was real. If you don't know that, or if you don't think so, you obviously haven't talked to the right people. Mm-hmm. This is going to be an issue for him. And I don't know this. I'm just going to throw something out there. I feel strongly someone, either the owner sat him down, or either Howie Roseman sat him down. Someone sat him down and said, stop trying to be friends with the players. You're talking about Doug now. Yeah, we're talking yeah. about Doug Peterson. Yeah, okay. Something happened because I pointed this out at Jeffrey, at, at, uh, I'm sorry, Jer- at Doug's press gathering, the breakfast at the owners' meetings. I'd never heard Doug speak the way that he did before, yeah. the command, and he was not trying to give out a lot of information to the media like the year before where he was just a fountain. He couldn't well, stop and talking. Th- that's a crazy Something thing. Something happened. Yeah, well, so our good friend Mark Eckel, who you know, has covered the team for a long time, he had said that you know Doug, his rookie year as a head coach, was one of the worst people he's seen at the podium because he's honest to a fault. And that's not what you want to be as a head coach. But I agree, this year, I think he's way more hes way more command up at the podium. He really uses it to send a message. And I think when you talk about why this team is so good, yes, the quarterback. But I do think Doug has really kind of instilled a confidence in them. And I think he's kind of done that by being more of a, a, a leader and a ruler, if that makes sense. Now, I, I do want to say this when, when you look at Doug. Sometimes we overjudge. You talked about press conferences. Sometimes we judge command by how he commands a press conference. I, I, if we've learned anything, we probably, as in the media, whether you're an analyst or reporter, 
or writer, you need to stop doing that yeah. because I think I made the mistake of overjudging Doug on, look, every once in a while he's going to say something and you go, what world is he talking about? Yeah. He's clearly not, like, the explanation of the fourth and eight. Right. That was completely absurd. He, by the way, he was wrong on that. Okay. He, I, 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 I disagree, you, but that's for another podcast. But, but I actually have, I actually have actually went out to get some information from other teams on that. Yeah. On the, what their analytics look like. There was nothing that would sell you on that to do that play. Uh-huh. But other than that, really this season, I just can't disagree with anything he said. He just yeah. and, and, and the players will tell you, as someone told me privately, they respect him so much. And as one player said to me, and I've used this all season, we know where the line is with Doug. We don't cross it. I'm going to give you an example. And Michael Silva wrote a lot about this, actually, mm-hmm. but I'll give, you, I'll give you the real story on this. All right. So – a couple weeks ago, I think it was leading up to the actually last the, the uh, Minnesota game two weeks ago. Doug went off on everyone. Something happened. I think there might have been a fumble practice. It was a bad play, and Doug went off. You could read it in Michael's story, mm-hmm. but I'll give you the greater context. He was so put off by the lack of effort in that in that one play, he went after his coaches and his players. He said, "What do you you know? I don't I don't like have exactly what he said, but I'm paraphrasing. He was so pissed off." So for these people who think that Doug doesn't get angry, you clearly right. have not been talking to the right people. Yeah. He doesn't – it's the first time you – know, he's yelled at players and, and whatever, but this is the, really the first time where he just lost it. And so, so to think, like, he's not this happy-go-lucky shucks guy, I think you really need to take a step back and really look at who Doug is. Like, I played the game. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't think Andy Reid went off? Right. I, I was at uh, – you guys, I don't think were co- – were you covering Michael Vick? Uh, I was at the tail end of it. In a okay. way. Well, yeah, with Chip. Yeah. I'm gonna be, yeah. Okay. Not so, with Andy. So, but you weren't covering um, Michael Vick in his first year. No. So Mike, Michael Vick gets out of jail. Okay. His first practice with the Eagles. I'm standing. I'm standing on the sideline. You, as you know, Andy would let us watch all practice yep. till he kicked us out. But this was actually the first practice in training camp, I guess. Uh, yes, because he, they signed him in during uh, the preseason. During the yeah. So Vick ran the wrong play. So Andy goes, I'm paraphrasing. I, I do remember it. I do mm-hmm. remember because I was standing like right next to the coaches. He goes, if you think this bleep would have ha- worked in Atlanta, it ain't bleeping going to work here. Wow. And I've, I've never, that's the first time I'd ever seen Andy really go after a player. But he did it for, he did it for an example. But what Doug did a couple weeks ago was not by example. It just bothered the hell out of him as the yeah. next player. So, yes, he's got, he's got command. So we talked about Wentz. We talked about Doug. Howie Roseman. A guy yeah. that two years ago was essentially fired because of, you know, Chip took Reassigned, over. yeah. Yeah, reassigned, right. <laughs> um, the job he's done, uh, I think, has been almost you know, nothing short of amazing. My question for you is, though, how much do you think is Howie and how much do you think is Joe Douglas? See, here's the problem. too hard to separate Yeah, here's the, the problem. See, first of all, this is his first full year. Remember, he kids in uh, 2000 and uh, – what is, when did he come in? Six he, he, he took over in January prior to the 2016 season. Right. Remember, so he had so that he didn't off have, season. But he didn't that, have the whole season to he scout. He really came in after yeah. the draft. He really, right. he really, his work came in after the draft. So this is his first full season. Oh, you're talking about Joe now? Yeah, Joe Douglas. Okay, yeah, right, yeah. Joe Douglas I'm talking about. This is his first full draft. Right. First full cycle of the season. So the, the bottom line is, Elliot, it's hard to, ju- to properly evaluate, but I'm going to give you what someone close to Joe Douglas told me. Here's the type of player that he'll find that Howie won't find, just because it's not that Joe played. He worked in Baltimore where they find what are football players, not just great athletes, they find football players. Howie's not going to find the tough-as-nails player that won't show up on tape. Right. Joe has been in these schools because he was a scout on the road. Howie was not, typically. 
So he's going to find those tough, grind-it-out grind football players. It's not just Timmy Jernigan, who's been a great trade. Obviously, Joe Douglas knew him right. uh, from Baltimore. He might find Corey Clement. He might find the player that you did, that Howie might not have seen on tape. Yeah. It's just because he's got the better instincts as a scout. But Howie's ability, and by the way, if you talk to anyone who's worked with Howie, he's actually a pretty good evaluator. Yeah, that is something this you is hear when you no talk. No one talks yeah. about it. And, and I, think it's, I think if we're giving Howie proper credit, and I'll give you another thing that Howie's really good at, it's the moves you don't make. So at one point during free agency, I, I thought that a deal, I know from talking to sources around the league, it looked like, Michael Kendricks could be shipped off to the Niners. Well, it's the moves you don't make. Right. Uh, whether it's he didn't, how he didn't get what he wanted, or he saw the depth of linebacker was bad for whatever reason, he decided not to do it. And probably this is one of the biggest moves that he didn't make that people don't understand. Well, and I think when people talk about this team, and you know, in five years when we talk about the Super Bowl run, the yeah. thing I'll remember is just the depth. You know, what I mean, like Bo Allen, Michael Kendricks, Halapuli Vilevaitai, all the cornerbacks. I mean. Yes, Wentz has been extremely special, and Howie going up and getting Wentz is one of the best moves he's ever made, if not the best. But the depth on this team is amazing. But how much longer do you think Joe Douglas will be here? I mean, because that's kind of the thing Eagles well, fans well, are Well, I think about. Joe – here's the thing with Joe. Joe did not have <coughs> – did not have pro scouting experience. So he needed two years, I think, of pro. Mm -hmm. I think one more year will do him good. And then, you know, he obviously the, – the, it's out there. The Texans had interest yeah. in him. Yeah. Uh, but I think he needed a minimum of two years of pro scouting experience, which he's getting here, because he's got to learn the pro level. But then the then the other issue is, you know, who's who would be behind him, and they'd have to figure that out. But real quick, you're getting back on the depth. Yeah. In the Sally Kep era, it's really really difficult. But here's how he learned. How he learned under Andy Reid and Joe Banner. Joe and, and Andy were philosophically aligned that they believed in the Lions. Joe Douglas talking to people close to him. He believed you must have a strong offensive line and strong defensive line. It just so happened that Howie had the same philosophy, philosophy so they meshed. Mm. And that, that to me, you asked how is Joe Douglas help. He believes, as, as I've heard, it starts with the Lions, and that's why it's great. So you, you talk about the depth. The Eagles are seven deep, a legit seven deep mm -hmm. on the defensive line. Show me another team that's that deep. Steven Means even, a guy that's inactive They need to play week. him, right. Right, is right. a guy that, sure. you know, sure. I think so, pretty good. And, you know, people are starting to bring up the linebacker issue. I don't see it being a – although I bring it up on my podcast this week, this could be the this could be the week that finally someone exploits the loss of Jordan Hicks because no one's done it yet. Yeah. I don't know why running backs – you saw what Chris Thompson did. He had two touchdowns to 79 yards against the Eagles. That's – this is going to be the week. If, if, they, if they don't if – if Josh McDaniels, LA, doesn't do this, well, I'd be stunned. And that's – sorry, so let's get to the, the big game this week, obviously. Sure. You mentioned the Lions. I think that's one of the main reasons Eagles have a chance to win this game, just because you, know, you win the game at the line of scrimmage, and they're so overmatching the Patriots in both departments, I think, the defensive line against Patriots' offensive line and vice versa. I mean, what, what do you think if the Eagles do win this game outside of the pass rush? What are some things you think they're going to have to do? So I think, Elliot, the, 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 the thing that they're going to have to do is this. They have to figure out a way with a four-man rush. Mm. And I, I know they, they run the wide nine, but – they have to f figure out a way to, to get their mismatches. Well, my understanding is when you, you watch the tape, it's the interior of the Eagles' defensive line against the non-athletic offensive, offensive line interior of the Patriots. Yeah. Uh, so that small, to me, too. That, yes. Yeah. So that, to me, is where Fletcher Cox, Timmy Jernigan, Bo Allen, who's playing really well, by the way. Making himself a lot of people, money. People, <laughs> and, uh, and, 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 you know, they were about halfway done negotiating this contract. And he got hurt. Had he not gotten hurt, although I know that they – they were not there on the money, so it may not have gotten done. 
But the Eagles really respect Bo Allen, and he's been done a terrific job of coming back from his injury. And, and you see why Bo Allen will be in there with Fletcher Cox over Timmy Jernigan. Who knew Bo Allen was this good? He's from this area. Yeah. So, yes, you're right. They have the distinct advantage of their D-line versus the Patriot O-line. I expect that to be exploited in the game. So who are you picking? I've been torn all week. I think I'm leading Eagles. But to me, just beating Tom Brady is so difficult. Where are you at with I'm it? Worried, just, I'll take the latter of what you said. Mm-hmm. The biggest problem to me is Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. I, I hate to do that. But the fact of the matter is experience counts. Yeah. And I agree with your assessment from a couple minutes ago about no one's talking about the mismatch of, of potential mismatch of head coaches. But here's where it's going to be a problem. I've been thinking about this the last 24 hours. Yeah. Belichick is going to have something, whether they change up and go to Moore 34, whether they, they're not going to be a running offense. That will never happen. That, that I could assure you will not happen. Yeah. They're not coming out running. When you have the best quarterback of all I, time. My number is for Brady a minimum of 45 attempts. I, you, could, you could count on a minimum of 45 attempts. I believe they're going to come out passing. But there's going to be something that they're going to do that the Eagles were not – I'm not going to say not prepared for that they didn't expect. Right. It's how well they adjust. And they're good. the Eagles have been very good at in-game adjustments Especially this year. Especially like they'll come out. Right. Uh, and, and Doug, this is where I love Doug over Andy Reid. I can't believe I'm saying this. but <laughs> And I, I implored them, and I did this on Twitter, keep throwing at halftime because the Vikings don't let up. Doug, other than the Seattle game, which was, I thought it was the worst called game of the year, yeah. he is so fearless as a play caller. They have such advantages, but the one thing that people tell me, the Patriots, something happens their defense in the red zone. They clamp down. They're one of the top four red zone teams. Whether it's their, their coaching staff, I think Filippo is very good with red zone. Whatever yeah. whatever this, the coaches do with each other, they better come up with something special when they get in the red zone because that's where the money is won. All right, so final pick. Sounds like you're leaning Patriots. I'm leaning a little bit towards Patriots, but as I did with the Falcon game, I changed it late in the week. Well, I may change on this it. podcast, we don't make our final predictions till on Twitter right before the game. Oh, so thank you. you. Okay, yeah, so, so you have, you have okay, all week. Don't worry. Yeah. Right now, I'm leading okay. toward the Patriots. It's just the experience, but I need I need more intel, which I'm going to get. Yeah. Uh, we're only doing this on Tuesday. Yep. But I believe I believe that uh, this could be a fun game, and enjoy it. I think just do it for the Eagle fans out there. Enjoy the moment mm-hmm. because it's been 13 years. You may not get another one. Uh, with, with Carson Wentz coming back from a significant injury. There's, yeah. It's not a guarantee he'll be ready week one, although I think he will be. Yeah. It's no guarantee. But the coaching job, coaching matters here, and who knew yeah. is, is my phrase, who knew. All right, well, thanks so much for joining us. As I said at the beginning, you obviously, after listening to this, need to listen to Adam Kaplan's podcast, CapCast at Vsport. And, uh, Vsporto, yeah. Vsporto, Vsporto yeah, and I'll tweet out yep. the information Thank for you. sure. So, Adam, thanks so much for joining us. All right, we are back. Those were two really good interviews. I really, uh, you know, it's that's an awesome thing about Radio Row. One, you never know who's going to be here. But yep. two, every time we've talked to someone here, two things. One, the coaching matchup, the fact that people view this as close is for real. That's not just lip service. But two, it's in, this is a game where people really don't know what to say. It's not like in years past where I've covered Super Bowls and you have, and people are like, all right, this is definitely the better team. Yep. People are torn, but what was your takeaway from your talk with Brian Mitchell? Yeah, uh, two things. Number one, I thought it was interesting that he said that he thinks this Eagles team is better than the 2004 Eagles team that went to the Super Bowl against the Patriots. I'm starting to come around to that idea, especially after what we saw against the Minnesota Vikings and what this team, quote-unquote, has been able to do with Nick Foles, a quarterback, once Carson Wentz went down. But number two, we've all talked about all week, Elliot, about how the Eagles have a 
a chance to win this game because they're so dominant along both lines. Yeah. And, you know, the comparison that Brian made between the Hogs with the Redskins back in their glory days and the Eagles offensive line and just how important it is for the line to get to that second level, open up the running lanes for the running backs, to me, that just goes to show you that this Eagles team is built to take care of business and win the game on Sunday. Yeah, and then Adam, Ka Adam Kaplan talked about it. He said, you know, Howie Roseman and Joe Douglas are on the same page. They believe that in order to win, you need to be strong on the lines, and the, the game's built from within. Um, and I think you can see that. I mean, they've obviously invested a ton in their cornerback position and receiver position. They ended up doing that. But the investments first went into the defensive line. Almost $100 million dedicated to their defensive line starters. Uh, Lane Johnson, big money contract. Jason Peters, big money contract. Holding on to Jason Kelsey. But then they ended up doing stuff on the outside. But they believe on building from the lines. And my takeaway from Kaplan was kind of what we talked about at the beginning of the podcast. Yep. But has it been a perfect transition into power for the for all these guys? No. But it takes time to get to get to know each other to begin to work together. And it seems like they're really all on the same page. And I think that bodes well for this offseason because, yes, there's a game to be played between now and the offseason. They got a lot of tough decisions coming up this offseason. Cap decisions, draft pick decisions, not a ton of picks. What are they going to do with Nick Foles? I mean, that's something we'll probably debate for, for weeks here on the podcast. Sure. And it'll be interesting what they end up doing. But, um, all right, so we're going to wrap this up because we have a busy day here on Tuesday. We're going to stick around Radio Row for a little bit longer, try to get you guys some more interviews, which we'll post later in the week if we can. Um, but as we said at the beginning of the podcast, if you're listening to this on YouTube, we really appreciate it. We read all the comments that you guys uh, leave there, and we like all the thumbs up. But go subscribe. We're in, we're in the App Store, the At The No Huddle Show. You can just look for us in any of your App Store uh, apps that you have. So go and find us. I'm sorry, the Podcast Store. What am I saying? The Podcast Store. So go find us there and subscribe. We're at 488 reviews. Matt, we're going to do this. We're going to get there by good. Sunday. We I'm might get good. there by Friday. We, we, we might. I think we will. All right, so thanks, everyone, for listening, and uh, we'll talk to you on Wednesday.